Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Buckle up, strap yourself in, and get ready. Welcome to The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. We can't, uh, we can't do it. We can't do it. We've been trying to come up with a name for the Justin Trudeau Touring Canada and Meeting Average Canadians Tour. So I just tweeted out at the Roy Green Show, help us out. Can you come up with a name of the, for the tour of Justin Trudeau's getting out and walking among us, shaking hands at Timmy's with the average folks? There's got to be a good name for the tour. At the Roy Green Show, just uh, tweet me there, and we'll read a few of them on the air. Happy New Year, everybody. Here we go, 2017, and it's already started off with a fair bit of excitement, particularly south of the border, with uh, Mr. Trump about to take over the White House. And the presidency of the United States and the Democrats and the left still whining and complaining and I don't know who's to blame, the Russians, the Martians, couldn't be anybody, can't be Hillary, couldn't be Barack, it's got to be somebody else. So uh, I'm sure they have other things up their sleeves and will unveil them before the 20th. We have lots to talk about today on this show, including the, uh, the now in place carbon tax in Alberta and the cap and trade in Ontario and the electricity prices. And what that's likely to do to the economy of this country, not only the provinces directly involved, but the economy of the country. And uh, our good friend Tom Caldwell, chairman of Caldwell Securities, is going to be joining us at the top of the next hour. Mr. Caldwell is one of the world's foremost investors in securities, and um, he's one of the most highly respected people. When it comes to looking at the world of business and the world of finance, and... uh, I was reading a story yesterday, uh, Anthony Fury in the, uh, in the Toronto Sun, his column about a, a Canadian firm, an Ontario firm, or a subdivision of an American firm operating in Ontario. They got their electricity bill, and the uh, delivery charge was $100,000. The actual electricity cost was 23000 and the delivery was 100000 I hope I'm getting that correctly from Anthony's column. I'm going by memory, but... Apparently, the manager of this company doesn't want to tell the bosses in the United States because he's afraid they'd shut down the division in in Ontario and just do work in the U.S. We're going to hear some stories. And so we'll get into that, uh, all of that in the the next hour. Terrible situation in Fort Lauderdale yesterday with uh, Esteban Santiago, a name we all would have been better off never hearing killing five people and 
wounding many others and frightening many more. And I was talking to a number of people yesterday, and and this recurring theme kept coming up when we talked about the Fort Lauderdale situation. And the recurring theme was that people I was speaking with were talking about becoming increasingly nervous in public places, especially closed-in public spaces. Maybe nervous is a little bit of a strong uh, word to use, but they were anxious. One person told me nervous. Another person used the word anxious. But we were all talking about this particular awareness, perhaps, that Berlin and Fort Lauderdale and the, the other terror locations have created. And maybe that's exactly what the uh, terrorists want. But what can you do when you're in a location? If you're in a public place and it's a closed-in place, what can you do to just fundamentally be more aware of your surroundings and make it more of a situation where you can protect yourself as much as possible without, you know, going overboard? We're going to be speaking with... uh, with uh, Ross McLean from Ross McLean Security before the uh, end of this program, former Toronto police officer, now security expert, who set up security for the world's largest technology distribution company. So we have that. We're going to begin with this, though. This is the story that horrified, horrified so many people, made many people angry. And uh, there's still a lot of talk about it. Four black young adults charged with hate crimes for abducting and torturing a mentally disabled white teen, 18 years of age, while live-streaming the attack on Facebook. Now, their lawyers, pleading bail, tried to make the case the four were responsible people with jobs to go to school. One looked after a sibling confined to a wheelchair, bail denied appropriately. If you've seen the video, then, number one, it horrifies you. And number two, it angers you. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what your background is. If you look at that video and you consider what happened to that young man, it must anger you. So one of the questions I have is, what do you do? What's the, I mean, they're all charged with hate crimes, and it took quite a while for Chicago police and the prosecutors to decide that that's what they're going to do, that they would charge them with a hate crime. But what is the appropriate punishment? I'll be asking you that question. But first, who are these people? What is it that causes somebody, creates the environment, creates the, the, um, the license to behave as they did, as grotesquely and brutally as they did? Dr. Frank Farley is with us, past president of the American Psychological Association and um, a people's professor in the Psychology Today blog. Frank, how do, Happy New Year, and how do four people come together to plot and carry out such a vicious and demeaning act on someone who's not only unsuspecting, but also trusting, according to news reports? Is it, is it one person who's the leader, or not necessarily? Well, Roy, we don't know for sure, of course, but, uh, and by the way, Happy New Year to you, Roy, and all your listeners. Thank you. Um, so there are these four kids. One of them is a friend of the victim. Uh, they spent a whole day, the two of those, going around in the car, stolen cars, it turns out. Uh, but that it all began with some horseplay, as I understand it, some, you know, play fighting that sort of went south. It just went bad. And uh, then we don't know, but one can speculate. There's a lot of research coming out these days on, on violence contagion. 
Uh, a new study, in fact, just appeared uh, on that topic. And um, it looks as if violence can be contagious. Uh, some of the numbers in that study, and it deals with teenagers, very similar to the perpetrators in this uh, Chicago incident, that teens are 48% more likely to get involved in a serious fight if a friend had done so, and 183% more likely to hurt someone seriously if a friend had done so. So one issue is whether in that apartment in Chicago you've got some kind of uh, violence contagion, somebody started something, and the rest piled on. Another term we often use is emotional contagion or social facilitation. We see it a lot. We see it in flash mobs. Um, in, in sporting events, we'll come to sometimes see it where somebody pushes yeah, but down for, a Frank, Frank, we're, t- we're talking about... And everybody starts damaging. We're, we're talking about... This, this was, I mean, there was activity going on in that van that wasn't... I mean, he was being... I think he was being attacked in the van. And then he said, the 18-year-old said, it started as horseplay, and then it deteriorated, disintegrated into what it became. I'm just looking for the ages of these... Uh, of these four, I think there's in their 20s, some of them. Um, but uh, you, you have four people who commit these grotesque acts, and it really is torture, what they did to him. It's torture. Doesn't at some point one person say, and their lawyers are trying to, trying to portray them as being good, decent, upstanding, contributing members of society, even though a couple of them have had run-ins with the law. Doesn't at some point one of them say, Hey, enough, instead of live-streaming it on Facebook? Uh, don't we hope. But uh, that's hard to do when you're one out of, uh, you know, and there's three others against you on that idea. But none of them did. And so it's hard to stand up sometimes. But, you know, you, you put your finger on what I think is one of the key things, which is moral, moral education, families and schools and communities, putting at the top of the list, you know, this kind of behavior, more, you know, moral disengagement, which is what exactly went on here. We need more focus on the moral life, the good life throughout our society, because we're continuing to see this kind of stuff. And also, you know, such things as impulse control, you know, controlling your impulses. The prisons are full of people with poor impulse control. It's one of the key tickets to prison. Yeah, I see. I, I, I think I think this was a case where they clearly planned to do this. This this they had intent to do what they did. Otherwise, would they? Why would they have contacted the mother of the eighteen-year-old, apparently, and asked for for money? There was there was intent here. This is uh, and 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 Frank, I, I only have a minute, but. Do you think that there's is this is this about race? Chicago police had a tough well, time trying to try finally say that it, they define it as a hate crime. Uh, Roy, I don't believe in hate crimes. I think that it's a very bad idea to infer the emotion associated with a crime and then add years of prison because of that emotion. That's essentially, you know, mind reading and thought control. We should get away from it. What it is, is identity crime. One group, black against white, white against black, gay against straight, straight against gay, young against old, 
Those are identity crimes based upon your identity. Right. And to use the term hate crime adds an emotional inference that we somehow or other, the judicial system, know the emotions in your heart at the time you did it, and we're going to add two years to your prison. Well, when they, when they use the you word like... be afraid F- of that kind of mind Frank, in a democratic society. When they, when they use the words and go, force them to say, you know, F white people, F Donald Trump, um, there's a question about whether you know whether, whether race was really at the, the at the uh, at the core of this this whole horrid incident. That is part of the discussion. It could be, it could be you know, that you have a an easy victim, yeah. and uh, you can control them. You know, control is a big thing in violence. People uh, often violent people are in it because of the ability to control yeah. the situation. Jeffrey Dahmer killed over 20 people, and he said the number one reason was he could control them. Yeah. Well, it's a... um, That could be a factor here, too. Yeah, it's a horrid story. Frank, I I appreciate the time. I went on a little bit too long at the tops, but uh, thank you so much for the time. Always good talking to you, and we'll talk many times, I'm sure, in this new calendar year of ours. Look forward to it, Roy. All the best. Thanks. Dr. Frank Farley, psychologist at Temple University, past president of the American Psychological Association. All right, I have a question for you. Do you think it was a hate crime, or a crime based on race? I'm not going to run away from asking questions on this show. Uh, Chicago police, as I said, to, as you know, it took a long time for them to, to finally say, yeah, it was, a, it was a hate crime. They defined it as such. Was, it, was this based on race? And what is the, you don't have to say yes, give, give me your thoughts. And what is the appropriate punishment for these four if they're found guilty, what would you sentence them to? What is, what, what, is it, what is a deserving penalty for what they did? So is it a racially, racially based crime? And what's the appropriate punishment if they're found guilty? 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428 is the number to call.